Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. With wage subsidy legislation now passed, will there be additional measures to help hard-hit industries like oil and gas and the airlines? We know it's not only the airline industry, if you look at tourism, if you look at oil and gas, uh, if you look at the retail sector, they've been significantly uh, challenged by the recent events. So we're going to have a holistic approach. Uh, Our goal is to make sure that overall we have a plan in place, not only for the short-term and immediate needs for Canadians and providing them with income, but also how can we quickly rebound and recover. And that includes support uh, for many sectors across the board. Questions about whether something could have been done earlier to prevent the deaths in long-term care facilities. It is absolutely the case that people who are resident in long-term care homes are a particularly vulnerable group of Canadians, and we have been working very closely with the provinces to put in place measures to protect the safety of those people even more. And is the role of the opposition evolving as the crisis continues? Trying to present your criticism as constructive if you're an opposition party at the same time as trying to be a team player. It's Monday, April 13th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mark. A pleasure as usual. On the weekend, of course, the government passed uh, in a special session, Easter weekend sitting of the House of Commons, uh, its wage subsidy bill. Um, does that bring to an end the, the measures that the government is going to do in a big sweeping way to shore up the economy during this crisis? Or are there other pieces still to come? Well, I think what, I guess the, the only other thing I'm really sort of watching for is based on the government's own promises is whether there's going to be a, a you know, a, a yet further relief, economic relief package for the hardest hit industries, you know, uh, uh, airlines, for instance, um, you know, the, uh, the oil and gas workers at Western Canada, the government early on, like in the last six weeks or so, promised uh, there would be, in particular, they were talking about helping it, uh, you know, the energy workers in, in Western Canada who've had this, well, you know, we we know the the, the economy of Alberta has, has collapsed in the in the past couple of years. It it's going through this double whammy of of lower oil prices and the COVID nineteen effects. So, the one thing the government had talked about was relief, uh, another economic package for for the West, in particular for Alberta and those workers in the energy field, sector in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So that's the other big thing I guess I'm watching for in the economic front. Uh, you know, I think the government is, you know, the, the big signature items with uh, the emergency sitting on the weekend. They cleared the wage subsidy bill. So those, you know, and along with the, uh, you know, Canadian emergency response benefit, those were the two big ones to take care of people and workers and uh, businesses. So uh, that's the other thing I'm watching for is whether they do something special for uh, particular sectors of the economy. Yeah, and I suppose an argument could be made that if uh, if the employers in those sectors are eligible for the 75% wage subsidy. That's that's a huge boost. We've already seen some of the airlines hiring back some workers, so obviously that is a help to them, but is it enough, right? Yeah, I think we're in this, in this uh, tricky period in terms of how much more governments should be expected to do, and I think we're at that sort of talk a lot of you know we, we talk so much of it uh, in in this pandemic about these pivot points uh, on the health side on the economic side 
So there's a still a bit of a lack of clarity, obviously, in terms of where we are in the in, in the healthcare side of, of dealing with the pandemic. Uh, are we? And, and it's different across the country. So which? Where are we in the peak? Where are, have we flattened the curve? Where are we in the curve? Are we getting to the plateau? Are we going to start down the other side soon? Politicians in most parts of the country seem to be talking now about middle, late summer before we might be able to start relaxing some of the rules. So I guess if you're if you're a government now, looking at the measures you've taken, uh, you're make you're starting to make a calculation about how much more you need to do if you think that four months from now or three months from now, that's when companies and businesses are going to be able to start making money again. You start opening them up slowly, so uh, you know it still gives you. Uh, the opportunity to tailor some sort of a, a further economic response for the next two or three months. Uh, all of these programs we've seen so far from the government have a bit of a time stamp on them. They're they're three and four months or two months. You know, they're, so they've got a they've got a shelf life to them. So there's still an opportunity to do more. But I wouldn't be surprised if the government's sort of waiting to try and get a grasp on when they think the economy will start to you know rebound, and that might influence how much more spending we see. Aside from the economy, obviously the public health crisis continues to play out. Uh, there's some devastating news from some seniors' homes and long-term care facilities uh, where people have died and where uh, the employees are feeling a lot of pressure. Some of them are becoming ill as well. Uh, and, and questions are being asked now about whether we were prepared for this, adequately prepared, particularly in that area, and even more broadly. And I wonder if we're moving into a phase now where there will be more scrutiny on the government and on public health officials for the decisions they made early in this crisis, rather than, as is often the case early in a situation like this, where everybody just tries to get on board and and support the, the immediate decisions that a government has to make. Which all makes sense, of course, Mark. In the few first two months of this, what we've seen is uh, people trying to figure out exactly what we were in. You know, what do we do? What, what, what? Who, who's leading us? What are we being told to do? Uh, that's properly where the focus should be, and that's where it's been. Everybody's been looking. Okay, you know, what do we have to do to right today, tomorrow, the next day to deal with a pandemic that nobody's ever seen before? And you know, there are lots of questions being raised of how well prepared we were for it. We're we're in the. I think it's fair to say that we are sort of as uncertain a time as it is. We are clearly and well in. I, I think in, into the management phase. So the pandemic is now being managed. Uh, the response is being managed. And now, so how much more can we do? We've talked about the economy. We've talked about you know the, the measures, the advice to people about what to do to deal with the pandemic. What everybody can do personally. That advice now hasn't changed in a month. You know, isolate, stay at home, uh, don't congregate. Uh, if you feel well, don't go to work. Don't go to work unless you're essential. So every that, that advice hasn't changed. So now we're in this period where, as I say, uh, for want of a better term, the pandemic is being managed. So now people start to look at, okay, you know, uh, journalists, others, uh, healthcare workers in particular, uh, are looking at, okay, how do how did we get to the point where it's having this kind of effect uh, on on Canada? And I think where there's going to be a lot of we've seen some scrutiny already about what you know uh, supplies and government preparation and government briefing notes and talking points uh, that clearly suggest the disease, the pandemic seemed to always be you know a step ahead uh, of the government. There was a response that 
you know, it's low risk to Canada. We're just going to hand the pamphlets at the airport. Then within, you know, a few days and a couple of weeks, now we're, we're the screening measures picked up. Uh, then we started closing the border. We started closing traveling, all, shut down traveling, all of that. So we've seen that response, response evolve. But I think there's going to be some real questions being asked about what has happened in long-term care homes across this country. And it's it's in a lot of different jurisdictions. So this is, you know, some people in the field have suggested to me when we started to realize we were there was going to be a pandemic coming to Canada, whether it was whether we didn't have a full grasp on how big it was going to be or not, the first place government should have been looking because they're the most vulnerable would have been long-term care homes. And have a look at that, have a look at, you know, implementing distancing measures early because if it gets into a long-term care home, uh, nursing homes, we've seen what happens. And so there are going to be questions asked about how come measures weren't taken two and a half months ago when there was a the risk here of moving people, splitting up uh, residents in long-term care homes, beefing up uh, support staff if we needed to do that, personal support workers, all of that. I think that's going to come in for some very, very close scrutiny. And are we going to see more questions from the opposition and from the media? I know it, it's it's tough for both uh, the media and the opposition to walk a line between uh, trying to support the effort to get information out and respond quickly, and at the same time hold the government to account. So is that is that going to shift, do you think, in the days ahead? Yeah, I think it's less of a problem for the media. That's the media's job. Uh, the media's job is to do all of the things you've talked about, get the information out, but also... Uh, ask critical questions where critical questions need to be asked because, uh, you know, not notwithstanding the criticism of the media and people will say media have an agenda and so on and let's, let's uh, fine, put that out there. But it's not as hard for the media to do their own job because that's what their job involves. It's, it's, it is also the job of an opposition and an official opposition but in a case like this, it's a little bit, di- a little bit more difficult because you're you're trying to uh, trying to present your criticism as constructive if you're an opposition party, at the same time as trying to be a team player. It's it's a different job role for the media, obviously, because you know it's we're we're not compelled to come up with solutions of our own. So if you're the opposition party and you say they shouldn't be doing this or they should be doing, what, you're always open to the question from. Uh, the other side, okay, well, what would you be doing instead if you were in power? You know, that's typically not something a journalist has to face. The journalist just has to ask questions about how the government's handling it. So it's been hard, I think, for the opposition parties to find, you know, to to, to find sort of oxygen in, in this. They're, they're a little bit framed out of the conversation, and that may be part of the issue. They keep talking about conservatives in particular wanting to be part of Team Canada. They're almost on a daily basis, offering solutions. And to be fair, in many cases, the things they've offered have ended up changing government legislation, and not just the Conservatives, but the other parties as well. So I think we'll continue to see for the next little while this this challenge uh, for the opposition parties to to be seen, to be trying to come up with good ideas and, and better ways to manage this. But they'll also have to be careful that they're not seen to be trying to take advantage of a situation uh, because it's, you, you know, uh, b- because they, they can be in a position to, to take shots at, a, at the government's handling of the, of the project without uh, necessarily having to worry about having to handle it themselves. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Peter. We'll see what this week brings. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Okay, Mark, take care. Uh, good to talk to you. At CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. It is absolutely the case that people who are resident in long-term care homes are a particularly vulnerable group of Canadians, and we have been working very closely with the provinces to put in place measures to protect the safety of those people even more. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Sun, Rick Gibbons argues the new normal won't be the same for everyone. Gibbons writes, Kids could be back to school by fall. For their parents, full-time work will probably resume, hopefully by late spring, more likely early summer or even fall. But I suspect life will take much longer to return to any kind of normal for grandma and grandpa. COVID-19 has been especially cruel to seniors. We desperately need to figure out a better way to manage our elderly population, including housing them in smaller facilities with fewer residents and no more four-to-a-room living arrangements. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Watt considers democracy in the time of the coronavirus. Watt writes, Among the more concerning, broader societal consequences of the coronavirus, economic collapse, fear-mongering, widespread distrust, is a stunningly rapid deterioration of democracy. Dealing effectively with pandemics can reasonably support the suspension of some norms and freedoms, but a careful balance must be struck. What every strong man has understood is that a frightened public is also a compliant public. For the sake of our democracy, our leaders must understand that while we are willing to be compliant, we are not frightened, not in the least. At National News Watch, K.W. Grafton breaks down Pandemic Economics 101. Grafton writes, It's a simple concept, fundamental to any business plan. Revenue must exceed expenses. In order to generate revenue, you have to be open for business. Canada, like many developed countries, is currently closed for business. The COVID-19 Economic Response Plan includes $55 billion in tax deferrals for businesses. But tax deferrals imply profits, which require revenue. No revenue means no profits, which means no taxes. Without revenue, tax deferrals will not keep businesses solvent. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will provide his daily update on the coronavirus situation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, April the 13th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for coverage of the coronavirus crisis and for primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.